Dr. Pop News. I'm an author, an illustrator, and professor of counseling at the University of West Alabama. Join me as I give tips, techniques, and insight into the world of counseling. I'm Dr. Poppy Moon, and today I'm going to talk about some tips for practicum and internship students. Now, this came actually from a lecture that I gave to our University of West Alabama pre-practicum students. Um, these tips are great for practicum and internship, but these are also like some of the little things that um, you start to learn when you're just starting out being a counselor. And for those of you that don't know, pre-practicum students are those who are just getting used to counseling skills, um, working with others, starting to do small sessions with clients. And I've been watching those videos over the past few days, and I've noticed some things that they're struggling with. And so I figure I'll just cover those and um, you can listen to them and you can use those tips in your own practice. And, you know, even if you are uh, an older counselor, these are great things to so one of the things I've noticed is that my students get really nervous when they have to talk about informed consent and in confidentiality. So I decided that I would make a little confidentiality script that I would use, and this one is for private practice. Okay, so I've got the person there, we're getting started, we're doing informed consent, and of course I would have them have a piece of paper with the informed consent on it so we could kind of go through it together. But I would just say, hey, you know, what we're gonna talk about in our therapy sessions is confidential information and it's covered by state law. And I can't reveal information to a third party. I can't let them know if you're a past or a current client of mine. I can't talk about um, any other type of information about our sessions unless I get your written consent to be able to do so. So if I ever had to share information, you and I would be talking about it right off the bat before I said anything. Now, there are some instances where a counselor does have to reveal information. And so once again, <laughs> I would always talk with you before something like this happens. But um, these are some of the instances that that, that, that that might occur in. So let's say we're in therapy and you tell me that you're gonna harm yourself or you're gonna harm someone else. So I may have to collaborate with the police or with the hospital to take necessary measures so that harm doesn't happen. Um, let's say that you're talking about uh, some type of issue and it comes up that a child under the age of 18 or an elderly or a disabled person is being abused emotionally, physically, sexually, uh, if they're being neglected or exploited, then I'm required by the state to make a referral to family and protective services. And that would be with or without your consent. But if something like that was happening, I would, <laughs> I would definitely hope that you would want to help take care of that as well. Now, let's say that I'm working with an adolescent or a child. I would say, okay, this, this is how it works. Because you're not yet 18, you're a minor. So your parents are legal guardians they can have access to your records and they may be able to release those records to a third party, to like an insurance company or something like that. Um, but before I shared any of that information to your parents, I would be sure to let you know how to do it. Another thing that we run into with minors, kind of talking about that, if the parents can get a copy of their records, they can read everything that the child and I have talked about. So if you're a teenager and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna give all these records to your mom and dad, why would they even talk to me? Because I mean, what's the point if I'm talking to this lady and she's just going to go right behind me and tell my parents. So when you're doing this, you're going to kind of navigate very quick, not quickly, you're going to navigate this kind of slowly. At the very beginning, the very first session, I'll explain when I'm working with a minor, parents and guardians do have access to some information. So I would like to work with you to figure out 
how much I can and can't share with you. So I want the parent to trust me to know that I will let them know if there's something really big that they need to know about. But I also want the minor to trust me and to know that I'm not going to run behind their back and let their parents know what they're talking about. So we will, in that meeting, talk about what we're going to share with the parents. We're going to make sure that our counseling relationship is built on trust. The parents trust me, the child trusts me, and we know that we can move forward together with the therapeutic relationship. And I will have the family work with me to write that confidentiality statement and all of us will sign it. So we'll know that we're on the same page and that everybody is looking out for each other. Now, when we are in schools, informed consent is a little bit different. At the very beginning of the year, like parent night, uh, meet the counselor or something like that, I will talk to parents about what informed consent is very beginning of the year. And I'm gonna have it written down on a piece of paper and I'm gonna have them sign it. I let them know that counseling is a relationship between me and the child, things that the child tells me are confidential, but I want you to trust me enough to know that if something is going on that you need to know about for your child, that I am gonna let you know. And I also think that it would be important for you to check with your district for the school counseling policy because they may be different. And also that makes me think of this, if you were working in a community mental health center, also check with them on their, um, on their confidentiality and informed consent process, because you want to make sure that you're following the rules of, of wherever, wherever you are working at. All right, so when I'm talking with the kid now, I've got a, I'm in school, I've got a kid that, I, that has an issue and they're with me, I'll let them know, I say, okay, everything that we talk about is confidential, but sometimes there are some exceptions. So if you tell me that someone is hurting themselves or another person, if you tell me that there is some type of abuse or neglect, or if you say to me that you know any information about a threat to school security, or if you're threatening something like that, those are the times that I need to, to go and help. Now, because you are a minor, I might have to share some of your information with a parent or guardian, a teacher or an administrator, but I will only do this to help and support you, okay? Dr. Moon's not gonna go and do this just lightly. This is gonna be something that I'm doing because it's a problem that's bigger than the two of us and I need to help you and support you. So write that down. Write that down that Dr. Moon told you to say that, help and support, okay? Because it makes them know that I'm not going to tattle on them. But I will say to them, that before I release any information, you are gonna have the right to determine how, I, how we are gonna share that information. So we could do a in-person conference, we could do a phone call that I would sit in on with the student, anything that they want, the two of us will come up how we're gonna share that information. And I promise them that I will limit the information I share. I will very, very, <laughs> I feel very, very strongly about that. I'll only let people know the information that they need to be able to help and to support you. So here's some examples of when I might have to break confidentiality with a school count or a student in school. Um, Mrs. Smith is the teacher. I'm seeing a student and John is bullying this child. And he is just doing it to the point where the kid that I'm seeing is in tears, feels bad about themselves. It, it needs to stop. So I will say, would it be okay with you if I spoke privately with Ms. Smith and let her know what's going on so that she can help you in the classroom, okay? Most kids are gonna say yes, of course, that's fine. Let's say I have a girl that's come in and she's been cutting herself, then that would be a reason I would have to share that with her parents and she and I can call mom or dad or the guardian, whoever, and we can talk to them about that. And also things like that, I like for the parent to kind of come into the school so we can um, 
I'll be together. As a counselor, I like to read people's emotions. I want to see what mom's face is saying, what her body language is saying, what how the student is, is feeling. So it's important to me personally to try to pull all the people together. Because when you're on a phone, it doesn't work so well. Now, Zoom is okay uh, because a lot of things are virtual right now. It's easier for me to see people's faces and be able to read those kind of nuances that they are. But you know, in-person is best, but that may not work right now. Uh, next one is a girl tells me that she's pregnant. That the reason I have to do that is to help you and support you. Because they may be like, oh, please don't tell my mom to say that. No, I've got to help you and support you because now you are expecting a baby that is a new party that's in our um that's that's in our kind of realm of what we're discussing so i'll have to do that but i'm going to let the student determine how and when we're going to release that information or if i find out that there is is sexual abuse then i would have to say something okay in the videos that i've watched of my brand new new pre-practicum students they have a lot of trouble learning basic counseling skills and i also see this with my practicum and internship students basic counseling skills are the foundation of making you a good counselor. And if you can only do, let's say that you could do uh, open-ended questions, you can do reflections, you can do summarizing. If you can just do a few of those really, really well, you're gonna be a great counselor. And I'm gonna tell you now that when you learn these basic counseling skills, everyone is gonna want to be your friend because you're gonna use these skills to focus on them and what they are saying to you. And everyone's gonna say, oh, you know, John is so great because he always asks me about himself, about myself and he really listens. And I say, use these skills with your family. Okay, I always joke that my husband and I never fight. And the reason is, is I'm using open-ended questions to figure out what's going on. Tell me more about how you're feeling. When that happened, what could I have done differently? We use those. Now, does that mean we've never been irked with each other? Certainly not. But the more I use these, the more I can understand what the problem is and that we can move on with our relationship. So use these with everyone you know. Use it with your family, with your friends, with people at your work. And these are some examples of how you could start an open-ended question. Uh, ask someone about their day. So tell me a little bit about your day. What happened? Ask someone to tell you a funny story. Tell me the funniest story that you remember from when you were a teenager. Have a kid talk about their favorite part of school. Now, normally if we ask a kid, how did school go? They're just gonna say, fine. But I might say to them, what is the weirdest thing that happened today? Or what did a student do that made you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they did that in school. Or what happened in the lunchroom that was kind of, that was interesting. Or what, what kind of lunch did somebody bring? Use it with your kids, use it with young people like that so you can start doing open-ended questions and they become very natural to you. Another thing that I want you guys to look at is practicing attending. With your new people, I noticed that on the side, you have written some open-ended questions and some uh, things that you're gonna use with the client that you're working with. Okay, don't write that stuff down. Start to think about it in your head because I'm noticing that when you are talking with the client, you were looking over to that paper to remember what kind of skills I want you to practice. So don't look at the paper, just start learning these inside your head. And I want you to be attending to them. So you're giving them your full attention. 
I am not crazy about therapists who take notes during a session, okay? Even adult therapists in private practice. I feel that that is often distracting. And if I'm in a counseling session and I'm the, the, you know, the client, I'm kind of like, what are they writing about me? And where are they going to put this information? So I don't take notes. I take that time at the end of the session to, to write down what I need to do. I keep it in my head during the session. I write it down. So don't look at the clock. In my offices, I have four clocks, a clock on each wall over the person's head. So that way I can keep an eye on the time without having to look at my watch or without having to pick up my phone, which I think is distracting. And it makes the person feel like, oh, we're on a time deficit here. You know, I've got to hurry or I need to go or whatever. So when I'm talking with them, I can look up over their head. I can kind of like, like I'm thinking, I can look up and I can nod and I can see that clock and I can know what time it is. My dog is whining at me. So, uh, so I have a clock on every wall. I also want you to place your chairs so that you're facing the client. I'm seeing people who are have the client sitting down on a low chair and they're sitting up high on a desk chair. I don't want you to do that. I want you to be on eye level with the client. Hang on. Place the chairs so that you're facing the client. Here are some examples that I drew with my magic apple pencil. So let's say that you have a big table right there you will sit on one end of the table and the client will sit on the other side of the table. So both of you are sitting there looking at each other. I don't like it when people are across a big desk chair with a client. And the reason is it gives a power differential. Counselor's sitting behind the desk and the client is sitting on the other side. And a lot of times when we're in a desk situation like that, we, we probably are in trouble or we're not super happy about being where we are. So bring yourselves to the corner, next to the corner. You can also have a small coffee table between you. So there's you and there's the clients. And then that co small coffee table is between the two of you. And then what I think is best is the one over here where you are sitting in a chair across from the client who's sitting in a similar chair. So you're both on eye level. So I really want you to look at that. I want you to learn how to relax your body while you're doing a session, okay? Watch your shoulders. Are your shoulders getting tight? Okay. And if they are, kind of relax them. I like to lean forward when I notice that my body language is getting tight. And when I really want to hear what someone's saying, I'll lean forward. But then I'll also will lean back and I'll open my chest and I'll sit like I'm very open so they can see that I am not fidgeting or, you know, my legs not bouncing or I'm not like tapping my hands on something. I like to relax my body like that. I, when I'm in a chair, will rest my arm on the chair and kind of cut my face with my hand and sit there and look like that, okay? And then I also want to see you guys nodding. Don't hold yourself so tight that you're not giving them nonverbal encourages. I want you to say, oh, yeah, okay, I see, right? So see, as I do that, you know that I'm listening to you and you know that I'm following along with you. Super important, easy stuff, but super important. Now, I also want you to practice reflecting and paraphrasing. Reflecting is also known as the art of listening. That sounds very fancy, okay? But it just lets the client know that you're listening to them. And all you're doing is repeating and feeding back to them a shorter version of their story. And this is called paraphrasing. So the client tells you that they went to Disney and they had all this fun, blah, blah, blah. I would say, okay, you guys are at Disney and y'all had a really great time. And the client will say, yes, exactly, okay? That's how you know that they're listening. Let's say that you paraphrase back to them and they say, no, that's not exactly it. You'll say, well, tell me more so I can understand it. It's a great way to check in with the client and make sure that what you think is going on is exactly what they think. 
Like I said, if you start practicing these basic counseling skills on everyone, everyone is going to want to be your friend because it seems like you are, are, are very interested. And I hope that you are, but that you're using these skills to be interested in people. So a lot of times you'll get somebody in therapy who no one listens to. Okay, they may be mom, they're doing 50,000 things, no one stops to listen to how she feels. And in the therapy session, they will be very, very chatty and they will talk very fast, as I often do when I'm presenting. They're talk, talk, talk. And I see my students. They want to say something, they want to use a basic counseling skill, but they're a little intimidated because this person is talking so much. So what I do is I go, oh, oh, hang on, hang on. I put my hands up. Okay, hang on. I got to get this straight. Let me see if I'm right. Then I'll do a summary, quick summary of everything that they've said to me. They'll say, exactly. Then they'll continue on. Okay. And, or, or they'll say no. And then you're going to have to kind of go back and find out what's going on. But you can always stop them at any point, even if you think you're being rude, because you're not. You're going to help them with different things, but you have to be sure that the relationship is working both ways, that you're hearing what they're saying and that, um, and that you want to hear that from them. All right. Last part, I think, is on here is talking about clients that you don't like. And when that client comes to your office, you're just like, oh, great. This client is here. I'm so happy that, that they're here to do therapy with me. You will have clients that you don't like, and you will have clients that you disagree with sometimes in very, very powerful ways, ways that make your gut kind of turn. You're just like, oh. sometimes we have political differences. If you've got somebody that's racist or sexist or it's very misogynistic, especially if like it's a man client and you're a woman and they're saying things and you're just like, oh my God, I can't even listen to him. There's cultural, religious differences, but sometimes you also have a client that's just really cringe. Like maybe they're smelly or they're gross. I have a friend who said that the client would pick their nose and they would put that on the edge of the chair and she could not stand it. Then stop. Couldn't stand it. Uh, or they're inappropriate. Say that I am working with a male and he's always kind of leering at me or he's saying things to me that make me feel uncomfortable. That's a client that you dislike or you don't really agree with. Now, the ACA Code of Ethics says that therapists need to be able to put aside their personal beliefs and convictions while they're providing counseling services. So the client always comes first. So don't let your discomfort affect the therapeutic relationship. Could that happen? Yes, but I want you guys to really start working on that so that you are not, um, you're not, you're not coloring the, the, the session. And it's hard. But it's something that you'll work on. And eventually, you will have seen so many people who are like this that over time, you will just kind of become immune to it. You'll be able to put yourself in, the, in another position and be able to listen and be a good therapist. Now, sometimes my uh, students will say to me, well, why can't I just refer somebody like that? Well, if you refer someone to another professional, you might make the client feel like they're abandoned. And maybe this might seek or prevent the client from seeking outside help. Now, the thing that I have that's a big problem for me when listening to kids, especially those with conduct disorder, is if they talk about hurting an animal. Ooh, that's the thing I cannot stand to listen to. It bothers me. It makes me um, very upset and it makes me nervous for the animal. I don't know. But that kid has been working with me and we have a relationship together and telling me this is a part of their life. It's part of their disorder. And it's something that we have to, to use therapeutic goals to work with. Do I like to hear about it? No. When I leave, am I slightly upset? Yes. But I have to keep myself in check to be able to hear that and to be able to move forward with it. And I'll give you some tips on doing that. Let's say that you do have this. What are you going to do? One, go talk to your supervisor. And if you don't have a supervisor at that time, if you're working in private practice or whatever, 
call a colleague. Let's talk about this. And just like, oh, it bothers me so much. It's very hard for me. I feel discomfort. I like it when therapists have their own therapist because it's nice to be able to go and listen to someone who wants to just listen to you. So talk to that person about how you feel. Maybe at the root of it, there's a situation that's similar to your own. So maybe they're talking about abuse and you, you suffered the same kind of abuse as a child and it's just very uncomfortable for you to deal with. Talk to your, talk to your therapist about that. Reflect on these things. I like to journal and practice self-care as well. All right. It's great when you have someone that's supervising you because you can talk with them exactly about what you were reacting to. They can look at the video of the session. You can talk about how you addressed it in the session. They can talk to you about, okay, I saw that you did this. You held your body like this. You made a face like that. Next time, try some other type of you know, facial expression or body movement or whatever. You can have them help you with that. And they can help you move forward so that you will be better at counseling. Let's say that I have someone who has a personal belief that is so against what I believe that it is, it's nauseating to listen to them. Okay, now you're gonna have to start using some counseling tricks. I like to say, okay, let's set myself aside. Let's see, if I was that person, why might I think that way? I'll ask them questions about their family dynamics. If you start to see the family dynamic, you can see why they think that way and how they started to think that way. Because, you know, children, they're pretty open about stuff, but then things happen to them as they grow up and that becomes kind of cemented in their personality. So take yourself out of the therapist role and look at them through a different lens. Okay. And then practice being accepting and non judgmental about this. Okay. They had some situations in their life that were really hard. Let's see how we can use that to kind of move forward. In, in our sessions. All right, your personal beliefs, you're not hiding them from the client, okay? But you're not gonna disclose anything that you feel unless whatever you say is gonna help the client and move forward with your therapeutic goals. A lot of times I don't really care. I don't like to self-disclose. I don't like for my students to self-disclose because it's not about you. It's about the client and it's about their counseling sessions. So just think about that. If I disclose this, is it gonna matter? Is it, who cares, you know? So just think about that before you do it. So here's an example that I was looking at. There was a shooting at a gay nightclub and um, the lady that was the counselor was frustrated because the client was super vocal about homosexuals. He said they're an abomination. He hates them. God hates them. And he was talking about the, the shooting and he had a lot of facts that were incorrect. So she corrected him uh, on these and he got super defensive and super angry at the therapist. Like, oh, okay, well, do you like homosexuals? What's going on with that? You know, maybe. And so that made her really defensive as well. So what she had to do was stop I'm not going to correct him. I'm not going to get involved with this. Um, let the client talk about how that impacted him. She would restate. She would ask for more information, just using basic counseling skills, just attending to the client. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Whatever they're saying you don't like, but it's okay. What I like to do is ground myself. If I'm in that situation, I'll put my, I'll be like, I can feel my feet touching the floor. Okay. I can feel my feet. I can see that the wall is white. I can see that I have a poster of whatever on my wall. <laughs> Hang in there, kitty. Maybe I've got that on my wall. I take those moments and I ground myself. Also remember, it's not all about you. This client, this session is not all about you. You are just the professional. 
So it's not about you. And once they leave, that's their life. It's not yours. So once you leave and go home, you have your own life and their life is separate. So you see what I'm saying? It's, there's a divide between the two. And only sessions normally last just 50 minutes. So you can say, ah, I can get through 50 minutes and then I'll be good to go. All right, the last part I'm gonna end with is our friend Carl Rogers, the dude that's responsible for person-centered therapy. And he calls for empathy with the client. He doesn't say you've got to like the client. He says, have empathy with the client. Embrace that person with concern and with care and just want what's best for your client. If you think about those things and you hold those in your heart, then I think that you will be doing a great job and moving forward and becoming an excellent, um, an excellent counselor. So thank you for listening. And I hope that this was helpful for you.